For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in a moment of prayer. Well, gracious Lord, we have heard much, much of your Savior's coming, much of the reason for your Savior's coming, stretching all the way back to the garden and the first sin of our first parents. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would so work by what we have heard, that our hearts would be drawn to you in faith. Speak even now through uh, Paul and his words to Titus to keep us looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it happened almost uh, 2,000 years ago when four men walked together to the lonely top of a towering mountain at the farthest reaches of the Jewish territory. Jesus, Peter, James and John separated themselves from the crush of the crowds, even from the disciples down below. They were climbing in search of solitude, in search of communion. The master was bringing these three into his private life of prayer in the desolate places. And it was on that mountain, it was in the midst of that prayer, that the three disciples saw what no human eye had before beheld. The face of Jesus, so often flecked by Judean dust, human sweat, shone with a brightness and a light to shame the sun, and his clothes like lightning blinded eyes that squinted at the radiance, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and the cloud of God swallowed the mountain, and secluded the witnesses in the rapture of the vision. So magnificent uh, was the sight that Peter spoke nonsense. He began to offer tents like mud pies being laid at the feet of an emperor. And the vision completed, the company descended. Down once more to life and to struggle in the valley below. And as they settled back into normalcy, Christ commanded the incomprehensible. Don't tell anyone. Not until the work is finished, not until Christ is raised, not until the grave is conquered. You have seen the glory that Moses was denied. You've witnessed the brightness of the divine nature shrouded in garments of human flesh, but do not say a word until the Son has accomplished all the designs of the Father. There would be opportunities to speak, of course. Opportunities to reveal. His own brothers would counsel Jesus to make his identity known, to go into the festival and stand among the crowds and to declare himself. The Jews would challenge him to perform another sign, 
to save himself from the Roman cross, to shine some spark of glory that they might trust in him, to give any impression whatsoever that he was anything more than a powerful teacher full of the Spirit, and even from time to time the glory surfaced. Like a great whale that could not remain submerged forever, it breached, it surfaced on the night that the angels praised him. It surfaced on the lake when the storm was stilled, when the dead was raised, and when the lame were healed, and when the hungry were fed, and from time to time the glory was undeniable, and eyes of faith could see it clearly and comprehend it. And yet Jesus commanded silence, secrecy. The Lord commanded that he would be seen and known and treated as the lowly son of the carpenter's wife. He would be known as the man of dust, the child of poverty. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity we just sang, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus who did not appear to reveal his glory, but to shine the light of grace to produce the riches of divine redemption. That's the apostolic witness that we read from Paul. Titus chapter 2, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. That's what the incarnation is. It's the grace of God. His mercy, His kindness, His unmerited favor. It's the grace of God appearing in a person. Beaming God's mercy into the darkest night of human need, that is the reason for the secrecy that our Savior commanded. That's why the incarnation had to happen in humility and in meekness. That's why it happened through the manger and the scorn and the hatred and the suffering and the nails and the thorns and the tomb. Because these were the tools the fire and the anvil with which the Lord would forge a righteousness stable enough to hold all the sins of all his people and to bear them away on the shoulders of a Savior. The poet Lucy Shaw has imagined that first appearing of God's grace through the thoughts of, of the virgin cradling her newborn baby in a poem called Mary's Song. This is what she writes. Quiet he lays whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps whose eyelids have not closed before. Breath, mouth, ears, eyes. He is curtailed who overflowed all skies, all years. Older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to the earth as I am. Nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn, and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. The grace of God, which bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men. The mercy of God, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, where oxen feed, and because he refused to the recognition of his glory, because he came to ransom captive creatures, his grace has opened blinded eyes to see his glory. 
his salvation turns our gaze to him to make us long for the day when he will appear again. When his glory will ignite the starlit sky and when the beauty of his coming will melt the clouds of sin and sadness and drive the dark of doubt away. Paul writes, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking, looking with eyes of faith for that blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the appearing of God's grace was the beginning of the story. The glory of the Lord will not remain hidden forever. He will come again. And the same person with even greater majesty than human eyes observed in the cloud and on the mountain will return in glory, will return in power and in judgment. Lo, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Those who have beheld his grace, those who have believed in the humility of his incarnation, and those who've trusted in the salvation that his death accomplished, they'll be among the shining ones. They'll join with all creation as the mountains shout for joy, as the trees shall clap their hands. And will raise up with the waters and the rocks and the hills and the plains to welcome with exaltation the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we learn and remember at Christmas time. Jesus appeared in grace so that we might see his glory. He appeared in meekness, the promise of his majesty. Perhaps the best way to remember Christmas, to celebrate it, is to look forward in faith to that blessed hope that Paul writes about. Early in the 18th century, the English hymn writer Isaac Watts published a collection of meditations on the Psalms of David. And in that collection, among them was a lyrical paraphrase of the 98th Psalm. Now, if you know the 98th Psalm, you know uh, that is a prayer that envisions the coming of the Lord in judgment upon the nations. It's an end time psalm. It's a second coming psalm. And Isaac Watts gave it the title, The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. But over the years, that title was lost, and we've come to know it by its opening line Joy to the world, the Lord has come. It is the most widely published Christmas carol in the English speaking world. And it was originally written to celebrate Christ's second advent. And Watts imagined the whole earth open to see the appearing of the king of creation. The one whose glory is no longer hidden, whose people are redeemed and secure in his mercy. The one who comes to break sin's chains and to reign forever with his saints perfected. And that is what the incarnation promises. Because that is what God's grace has done. God's grace has appeared to prepare us to see his glory in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you pray again with me? Gracious Lord, our God, we thank you for the glory and the grace of our Messiah. We thank you that he is the one 
came to live in humility, to be born into the manger, into the peasant girl. We thank you that he is the one who did not despise the flesh that he was to take on, but has taken it and remains with a human body still and a human nature still. God and man forever at the right hand of God Almighty, interceding for the saints and promised to return in glory and power. We pray that you would cause us to be among those who see him. We would see him when he comes, that we would see him when he draws us to himself, that we would not shrink back at his coming. We would rejoice and embrace the one who came in grace so that we would see his glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.